Open your Bibles with this morning, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 1, still in 1 Peter, going through the book. Peter writing to normal folk going through some hard times. So lots of good stuff for us. And helps us to learn to focus on the things that really matter. We tend to get distracted by so many things. But when people are struggling, so many things don't seem relevant anymore. And they were beginning to wonder about that. So he gives them the things that really matter. 1 Peter chapter 1. You can see we'll be looking at verses 17 through 25 in just a moment. Chapter 1. Verses 17 through 25. As always, we begin with prayer. An opportunity for you to go to God. When you pray, God stops everything. And I don't know how this works, but he stops everything to listen to you. And that's, you don't get that very often. I found myself, someone was talking to me today and I was trying to scribble things down and thinking about something else. And I'm so easily distracted and, and so are you. And you have these conversations with people and you miss it. And your wife says, well, I told you that. And you said, I don't think you did. Yes, I did. And you've, you guys have had that conversation. And you know what I'm talking about. It never happens with God. When you explain it to God, he says, I get it. And he remembers it. And he begins to work. So today we're going to do that. I'll give you an opportunity to pray where you're seated. Just a moment. Pray as you need. Prepare for worship. And for God to work. Would you bow with me as we begin, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. We know when we gather that you are with us. Your spirit moves on our midst, seeking open hearts. We open our hearts to you, Father. We ask that you would teach us from your word, that you would shape us according to your word and spirit. You would guide us and give us direction in this life. We come with many things on our hearts and minds, some struggle at home, others at work, some deal with health issues. Be with each of us, Father. Meet our needs and give us strength and endurance. We pray for wisdom to face our situations. We pray for self-control, that we would not allow the situation or our emotions to determine our actions. Help us to be people of faith, Father. We pray especially this morning for our, our elected leaders, for those who have power over us. We ask that you would guide and direct them, give them wisdom, help them to understand what they hear, help them be open to the facts on all sides. Give them discretion and clarity when they act. We pray that as a people we would learn to stand together even when we disagree. We pray for our first responders in all their various forms. Protect them. Use them to save lives. Comfort their families. And Father, we pray for those people around the world, many whom are in battle and in battled countries, 
We pray that somehow this great nation could assert its power and work a work of peace and justice. Help us, Father, to use our power wisely in a way that honors you. Lord, we thank you for all our blessings. We are wealthy in this great nation. We thank you with every bite, with every drink, with every casual moment. We thank you. Father, speak to us from your word. Help us to learn. Help us to face this life with the faith that only comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes I watch the news and I ask my wife, who rolls her eyes, well, who the heck's in charge anyway? Ever done that? Who is in charge? Not just of our culture or our government, but, but of so many things. We wonder, who's in charge really? Sometimes the people that are supposed to be in charge aren't there. Sometimes you wonder if somebody is pushing their buttons behind. And, and sometimes, even in our own lives, we question, who's in charge of my life? It's a valid question. Well, today we're going to talk about who is in charge and who has real power and how you and I can gain power to face this life. God doesn't necessarily give us power to change the world. God gives us the power to change ourselves and work as we can. Our video can help you think in this direction. Debbie? is power. The ability to enforce your will. Brute strength. Intelligence. Innovation. Wealth. Influence. We strive for power in the halls of government. We work to expand our influence in the boardroom, the classroom. We struggle to lengthen our lives. Day in, day out, we toil to increase our wealth. But how much control do we really have? Our best laid plans can fall apart in an instant. Our most trusted technology can fail. Our hard-earned investments can evaporate before our very eyes. And no matter how disciplined we are, our bodies grow old and frail. We are not without hope. Even in our weakness, there is good news for all people, an eternal power beyond human understanding that can soften the hardest heart, heal the deepest wound, bring peace, even joy in any circumstance, and salvation to all who believe. That power is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only power that lasts.
People in the early church to whom Peter was writing were asking this question, is God really in control? Because we say that, God is in control, right? God created the heavens and the earth. Surely he's in control. And yet sometimes we watch the news and we see what governments do all over the world. We see the evil that people demonstrate and we see the good people often trampled. Just like in the early church, and we wonder if God is really in control. So Peter knew he had to address this. This was beginning to hurt the church. Our church was struggling. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. A lot of persecution Christians were suffering because they were Christians. It was illegal in certain instances. In certain areas, they'd been being punished by government. And even when the government wasn't involved, when people were beating up Christians and persecuting them, the powers that be allowed that to happen. So you can see why Christians were beginning to back off and their idea of God being in control was being challenged. So Peter wrote, and interestingly, he talked about salvation. In this whole first chapter, he talks about the wonders of salvation, how it's God's grace at work, and he began to help them understand that if you want to see what God's power is really all about, you've got to consider the most important issue, and that is you and your life and your eternity. So on screen is this first idea. Our salvation is given through God's eternal character. There's something about God that is forever. Forever. My daddy was a great big man. When I was a little guy, he scared me when he walked into the room because he was big and loud and he was more than willing to whip us when we needed to be whipped. And, you know, back in those days, you know, that happened. And, and Dad really did pull his belt out and do those things. And so we were afraid of him. And he was always big and always loud. He never got less big until I got big. Then he wasn't as big and intimidating as he was. We had this game where we demonstrated our power to each other. And I started when I was in seventh grade. I'd been lifting weights for a while, and I thought I was all that. And so my dad would come around the corner, and he was six foot three and weighed about 300 pounds in those days. And he was just a big, strong guy. And I'd wall up, and I'd hit him in the arm just as hard as I could. He said, boy, you sure you want to start this? Of course, I was 12 or 13. I said, yeah. He said, all right. It's on. So the next time I come around the corner, you know what he did. He whacked me as hard as he could in the shoulder, and I went down. That old man could hurt me. And he laughed and walked away wasn't abuse. I thought it was fun. We did that for the next 10, 12 years. By the time I was out of college, I was six foot and pushing 230, 240. And dad was, well, he shrunk five inches and lost 100 pounds. And the last time I hit him, he goes, I don't think we can do this anymore. That pillar of power was no longer strong. And that's the way it is, isn't it? Big, strong men grow weak. Capable, intelligent women lose their faculties and struggle with a walker. And that is our way. So in the midst of that, where we live in a world where everybody that is strong loses their power, Peter reminds us, God never loses his power. He doesn't scream, it doesn't shout, it begins to build a case that, listen, the very idea that God is in control is the idea that can give us the ability to face no matter what. 
Because no matter what, God is still in control. Follow along with me if you would. 1 Peter 1, or read verses 17 through 21. 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 17. And if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So it begins to paint the picture that Jesus Christ, God's assertion of power into this earth, is there to remind us of who really is in control. So we're going to talk about that today. To sum up this passage, I wrote this out just so I could keep it straight. He says this, If you are a Christian... And if you believe in salvation through Jesus' shed blood, and if you believe in God as righteous judge, then live your life according to those beliefs. So this is what he says to people that were struggling, people that were hurting because of their faith. He said, if you believe all these things, keep on. Live your faith. Don't let people beat you down. Don't let the difficulties of this life get in the way. Don't let... The fact that you're not getting your way or your prayers aren't answered like you want or the hard times have come, don't let those things pull you away from what you believe. See, he was telling him, listen, this is life and death. And you have to choose. Are you going to hang on to the Christ to save you? Are you going to continue to believe what you say you believe? Or are you going to walk away? He challenges them, stick with it. And sometimes... I think that's what we have to do. We go through this crisis where something has happened, something hasn't happened. We didn't get our prayers answered the way we wanted or something like that. It's happened to us all. And we begin to wonder. You've noticed over the years that sometimes something happens in someone's life and for a time they quit coming to church. And they never say why, but we have an idea. They're shaken. Most of the time, they end up coming back to church. But you and I probably know people, and I know, I do, that have gone through a hard time in life and they never could get over it. They always blamed God for not doing what they wanted him to do. A tragedy or loss or pain. And they didn't get what they wanted, so they just said, forget it. We understand it. The early church was there. They were beginning to lose people. Christians were beginning to say, it's not worth it. Peter is challenging them and saying, listen, it's worth it. Because the God that you believe in is still God. The faith that God gave you is still real. And the resurrection that you talk about and the salvation that you've been given, it's still there. And it's still valuable. And it's still life-changing. And it still has the capacity to give you hope. I think it's really important to acknowledge, and I'll probably say this every week, Peter did not say, follow Jesus and he will fix everything. He did not do that. We want to hear the other answer, don't we? If you pray, if you give your offerings, if you live according to God's plan, everything will be wonderful. And that's just not true. We want that. It's not true. 
Pray, be faithful, do whatever God calls you to do, and trust Him is the only way, even when you can't defend it. I like to watch videos of atheists debating Christians, and uh, a, a prominent atheist now is Neil deGrasse Tyson. And you, you know him, he's a, he's a good-looking African-American, very articulate. He's a scientist with a personality, and they normally don't, but he's not a real nerdy kind of guy. And he's a good guy, and he's funny, and he writes great books. I recommend him. But he's atheist, and he'll point these flaws out in Christian's thinking. If God is so big, then why? If God created the earth, then why did he do this? I saw him on a talk show, I don't remember which one it was, several years ago. And he was lamenting the fact that if God was really all that smart, why didn't he do better about us? And the guy said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, everybody talks about, about a wonder, what a wonder the human eyeball is. Anybody with any brains could have done a better job than he did. And they all laughed and cheered because, yeah, he didn't volunteer to make a better eyeball, though, did he? And strangely enough, the talk show host didn't ask him, well, why don't you? And I yelled at the TV, well, why don't you? Because you know that works when you yell at the TV, right? I did it that night. It didn't work at all, of course. Sometimes it's hard to argue with an argument. Smart people can come up with clever arguments, and you may not be able to come up with an answer. I don't know why God didn't do things differently. I don't know why God allows whatever it is to happen. Happen doesn't mean he's any less God. It means I might not understand everything there is to know. God is gracious and loving to be sure, but we live in a world that is not as it was. It's been affected by us and our sin. The Bible teaches us that the whole creation groans in pain because of our sin. So before you get too critical about the way things are going, you have to understand the world as it is is not as God intended. In this passage, Peter reminds us of things. I'm going to just call them the ways of the gospel. So on screen are the first one. And he says these things in this passage. You can look in those verses. First of all, our time on earth is temporary. You might live 90 or 95 years or even 100 years. Some people do that. If you starve yourself, you can live longer. Do you know that? That the scientists have shown that if you really want to make your life longer, you don't have to really exercise to do all that stuff. You know what I have to do? Deprive yourself of food. They found, and research has documented this, that if you, the people that live longest typically eat about 700 calories a day. And for some reason, the human body likes that. Now, if you ate 700 calories a day consistently, None of your clothes would fit, obviously. Your car would be really roomy. Your dog would have a lot more room on the couch. And your food bill would be much lower. And you'd be hungry. But for some reason, people live longer under that instance. I'm not sure why. But regardless of how long you live and how much you eat, you know that your time on this earth is limited. Do you know that that's God's plan? You were not created to live on this earth forever. Death may not have been the separation that it is now, but God had a plan for that. 
God intended for us to spend a time on this earth and enjoy the pleasures and challenges of this life. He wanted us to work. He wanted us to experience loving relationships and all that entails. He wanted us to be challenged and to grow and develop and, and experience what the pleasures that come from developing your gifts and abilities and learning. Those are all good things that God intended for us to have. And then in God's plan, there would be a time when you would leave this place and go spend eternity with him. You are a traveler. That's not just some weird sci-fi concept. This is God's plan. You were not intended to live forever. Live life on this earth, make the best of it, do what you can, and then live as if there's something more. Because there is. We're talking about heaven and eternity and all those kinds of things. The biblical authors often talked about streets of gold, mansions in heaven, banqueting tables, and all those kinds of things. What they were saying was, in times to come, it is going to be better than you can imagine. And for those who are prepared, it's there for you. There really will be a welcome home sign when you get there. For those who follow Jesus. You may feel out of place sometimes on this earth. Sometimes I watch the news and, I, and of course I am now an old guy. I can tell by the way my grandkids look at me when I say something that they think I'm old. I like old music. I said something to a girl who was working at a hardware store the other day about the good music that was on the uh, radio and it was old rock. She rolled her eyes, oh yeah, you know, one of those things. So I realized it just dated myself by two or three generations. But it was good music, by the way. Old people. We've been around a while. And sometimes, because the world changes so much, and every generation goes through this, we begin to feel like maybe we don't fit here anymore. Because the things that I like are fading away. My ideas of right and wrong are being challenged every day. The way I think things should be done no longer work. We change everything. I don't like it. You're not intended to be here forever. You're a stranger. You're traveling. Another thing, in verses 18 and 19, our redemption came at great expense. Redemption was not a religious term. It was a term that meant purchasing a slave and setting them free. So isn't it interesting? Everybody understood that in a slave culture, and by the way, in ancient cultures, every culture was a slave culture. We didn't invent it. Redemption was when a slave was purchased and freed. It was gift. So the biblical authors used a term that everybody would understand. Not religious, but they understood. Slavery to sin. Freedom from that sin. They got it. The things that were within them that dragged them down. The self-destructive habits. The ways of relationships that destroyed people. All those things that are so normal to us all. There is a way to escape those burdens through the blood of Jesus. If you believe that, Peter says, and we do. I don't understand everything about how Jesus shed blood on the cross cleanses us from sin. And I don't have to. When someone challenges you and says, well, what about all those animal sacrifice things in the Old Testament? How's that work? You don't have to have a clear answer. Paul tried to answer. He said, listen, the Old Testament system was a tutor 
to help you to understand the way things work in the big picture. So the blood of animals were symbolic of Jesus' blood on the cross. And in that shed blood of Jesus on the cross, there is a cleansing. And again, I don't understand it fully. And for someone who's not, who hasn't grown up in the faith, it is an archaic idea. And some are beginning to say, well, the church needs to get away from some of those old ideas. And yet, those old ideas are the ideas that give us life, aren't they? So Peter would say, hang on. It's worth it. On the next screen, a couple more ideas, the ways of the gospel. Jesus is God's plan in eternity. And I imagine this conversation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the angelic chorus. And we don't know what that looked like. doesn't matter. And in the mind of God, this all happened. And he said, I want to create man. And I want to give them the ability to think for themselves. And I can imagine, no, no, don't do that. And I want to give them a chance to make choices with their life. I want, them to live, I want them to be free. I don't want puppets. I don't want to make people do anything. I want them to choose. And just as he said that and thought that, he realized, and they will sin. So in that instant, and again, we don't know how this worked, but in that instant, in the mind of God, the plan was born. Jesus, my son, you will be the sacrifice for them. And Jesus thought, you're right, I will. And the Holy Spirit chimed in and I will help. And, and I think it's something like that. It wasn't an afterthought. The moment God planned to create us with choice was the very moment he planned to save us from that choice. He didn't take away the choice. Instead, he teaches us. He moves us. He explains to us. He helps us to change. Like an errant child of whatever age, you can't make them do right. It's hard. Because they're people just like us. One other thing. And this is always true regardless of events. Our relationship with God is through Jesus, and only Jesus. If any man sins, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus, before the God who is judge, will be with you. Your lawyer, your advocate, your defender, your helper. He will be there with you. We know God because he chooses to reveal himself to us. We know of God because he gives us scripture. And he teaches us through nature and those kinds of things. And we believe in God because he gives us the gift of faith. The Holy Spirit works. And then through this process, we come to know Jesus as Savior. And we meet the living God. For the people that were going through persecution... This hasn't changed. They had just forgotten it. Because the pressing concerns of today makes us forget. When you don't feel good, it's easy to forget. When you've lost someone you love, it's easy to forget. When things aren't going well, regardless of what it is, it's easy to forget. 
And you get busy. And you'll hear people say this. Sometimes religious stuff just doesn't seem that relevant. And yet when people were losing their lives, this is what Peter talked about. The salvation you have in Jesus. Because ultimately, that's all you got. You will die. Don't mean to be a downer, but you will. All that money you've saved, this is the thing, you don't get to spend it. Somebody else will, won't they? And your car, or your motorcycle, your guns, your clothes, no matter what you've acquired, somebody else will do something. They'll sell it at a sale. They'll put it in a dumpster. Oh my gosh. All those things that are so valuable to you, you're not taking it with you. I was at Walmart one time in Rolla, and I walked out and I saw it, and this is before the days of cell phones, so I couldn't take a picture. And really, it was an old hearse that someone had bought and restored, and it had a U-Haul attached to it. Best picture ever. Couldn't take a picture, though. And I saw it. Doesn't happen in real life, though, does it? Because you ain't taking nothing with you when you leave this place. You're going to leave it all. Doesn't matter what you got. You're leaving it all. And yet, when you arrive in the eternal glory, you will be fully clothed. You'll have everything. Peter was reminding themselves, those people of this, because they needed to hear it. Because when you've lost everything, it's good to know that you haven't lost everything. Strangely enough, in the midst of crisis, he not only reminds them of salvation, he teaches them, while you're here, this is what I want you to do. And so he brings up this idea that this new life in Jesus is to lead us to a life of love. Follow along with me. Verses 22 through 25. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, furthering love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass. All its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you. So two big ideas in this passage. First of all, our faith in Jesus has led to our spiritual rebirth. See that phrase, born again? Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? You must be born again. And he said, what? I can't go back into my mama. That doesn't happen. Jesus was talking about spiritual rebirth, about how the Holy Spirit comes and he cleanses you and he creates you fresh and new. You must be born again. Jimmy Carter said it. People never heard it before. What? That's crazy. It was just as crazy when Jimmy Carter said it as when Jesus said it. And Jimmy Carter was quoting. Do you believe that? Yes, I do. Remember? Some of you do. This is what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not just a practice of self-discipline. There's that to it. But Christianity is more than anything else allowing God to give you this spiritual regeneration, being born again. And there's only one way to do it. And that's asking Jesus to do it. He's the only one that can do it. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's a gift when you receive it. It comes when you let the Holy Spirit 
work in your life, when you ask Jesus to save you, when you allow the Holy Spirit to change you, he begins that work of recreation. It begins at salvation, and then for the rest of your life, this rebirth is recreation, where God takes you and forms you and cuts away the bad parts and, and puts in good parts and cuts away bad habits and teaches you to act correctly and gives you power over you. You don't get power over anyone else from following Jesus. The power that you receive from Jesus is the power over you. Your temptations, your lust, your desires, your passions, your bad habits, your self-destructive tendencies. God gives you power over those things. And you can avoid sin. It comes because of the Word of God. Some people say this passage is talking about Scripture. I'm not sure. I think the living Word is Jesus here. It's acceptable to call the Bible the Word of God and the living Word of God, yes. But the Word that was preached was the Word of Jesus. And that's the Word that gives life. One of the other things he says here, our faith in Jesus leads us to a life of love. Fervently love one another from the heart. He says, I know you're not happy. I know you're hurting. Love people. I'm sorry I don't have an easy answer for your life. Love people. I'm sorry you're struggling. So were they. Love people. That was the apostle's answer to Christians who were struggling. Love people. Love God. Love people. Strangely familiar to what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Regardless of whether times are good or bad. Love God. Love people. That takes care of the issue of sin. By definition, sin is a rejection of God and typically is an infliction of pain and loss on someone else. When you love people, you change the way you treat them. You don't have to worry about the rules. If you're manipulating some way, that's manipulating someone. You're hurting them. If you're hurting someone, it's wrong, isn't it? You don't want that. Love people. This is Peter's answer to the struggles of life. Love God. Love people. And you're only taught this in one place. In the church. The bride of Christ. So this church, regardless of whether it's this building or this body of people, the church of Jesus Christ is the way God uses to help people in the struggles of this life. This faith can give people hope and comfort and security and strength. On screen is a passage of Scripture. Read this with me if you would. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, you're not just fighting cultural trends. You're fighting something that is spiritual. There's more going on than you can see. There are forces and powers behind the obvious sometimes. And they can be truly evil, 
And the only way to deal with them, the only way to gain power in that environment is to gain the power of God through Jesus. Love God. Love people. Trust the Father. And that's God's answer for people that are struggling. Love me. Follow me. Trust me. I'll be there for you. Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation and commitment. And that's the choice that I present you. Follow Jesus. Love God. Love your brother. And trust him. Make the decisions you need to make. If you want to make it public, you can come forward. Why don't you stand with me as Nate leads us. Let's sing together. Be free from the burden of sin. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power. Precious blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Nate. Dave's going to come and lead us in a closing word of prayer. Remember, next week at 8.30, we have a deacon's meeting, 9.30, business meeting, so there won't be any Bible study. So I hope you'll come for that and help us make good decisions. Dave, would you come and lead us? Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this time to worship you and think about what we can do in our lives to help others, love you, learn more about you, and guide and direct us in all our thoughts and all our actions. Be with us this week as we look for opportunities to serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.